My wife moved her mic stand, and I thought, oh, no, tear off, tear off the roof or her new knee's going to break through. I'm over there praying, Lord, protect her. That's right. I was having faith. It was almost like the time when I was just a young man, and some of you have heard the story. I grew up. Grandma came from an old regular Baptist church. I used to love watching some of the old women come in. They would be walking with a cane or a walker. By the end of the service, they were chucking the canes. They were chucking the walkers. They were running around the sanctuary, shouting hallelujah and praise the Lord. I said, and then after service was over, they got back to their, their walker. I said, wait a minute. I thought we had a breakthrough here. I was a little confused, but they had a good time in the Lord. Amen. And uh, so when Becky was up here, I said, I feel like I'm back in the, the hills of Kentucky again. And uh, I thought we were going to have a breakthrough. And, uh, but anyhow, if you have your Bible, if you will, please take it. As the kids are dismissed to head to Children's Chapel, you are dismissed, little people. And, uh, you know, with Miss Alicia today, and I, I think, I don't know if Miss Leslie's back there as well. I haven't, okay, I knew she was around here somewhere. I saw her. And uh, if, if you have your Bible, let's say this together as we do our Bible decree. This is my Bible. God's holy word. I will make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. How many of you love the word of God? How many of you love learning from the word of God? You know what I've enjoyed about the word of God is that it has power, it has authority, and that is kind of what we're doing through this series of messages. Can you believe it? We are on series number five, week number six, actually, because I, I kind of did two and two weeks, or did the one in two weeks, but um, exercising spiritual authority and understanding our role. I'm going to dive in because I believe there's a lot of content that needs to be shared today, and I'm actually going to do something. I am, just hold that tight right there, Brother Jay, and uh, I just want to bring your attention to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 1, and then I'm going to read verse... Uh, 18. How about that? We'll start with verse 18. And it said, the eyes of your understanding. Hey, he's already there. Good. Let me put my glasses back on because I'm a little nearsighted. Wow, you people look beautiful today. Anyhow, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints? Verse 19 reads. Okay, I'll get my Bible back. I know. I'm going to keep going here. And what is the exceed? You got it? Okay. Here we go. And what the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his what? Mighty power. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, and if you, you have your, your Bible, do this, kind of highlight that. I don't know, maybe I've told you this before, but I want you to do it again. Far above, above, that isn't below, that's above all principalities and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Right? Does that say, you know, so here Paul is speaking of that time, and then he's speaking of the future as well. You know, so he says, but also in that which is to come. Hallelujah. And then he says, he did what in verse 22? He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, to the church. Which is his what? His body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him who fills all, which is his body, right? So the church is the what of Christ? The body of Christ, right? We know in scripture that it's also called the bride of Christ. So there, there's a great union, a great relationship and so today when we move forward, uh, understanding how we are to exercise spiritual authority. When I think about these messages, it, it was amazing to me because I had to exercise spiritual authority in the middle of the night. I had everything going on that could be going on. 
in my mind. And you heard me say last week, you know, sometimes we have to like, you know, transfer our mind, transform it, renew it, you know, get, because Satan will use everything he can to kind of keep us awake all night. You know why he wants to keep me awake all night? He wants to keep me awake all night. So I'm lethargic and tired when I get in the pulpit. But you know what I said to him? I said, get under my feet. And you know how I fixed it? Because I have restless leg syndrome. So my leg was jerking and it kept me awake. And so I said, does anybody else have restless leg? All right. Well, in the name of Jesus, we're going to get rid of it right now. Hallelujah. Amen. So I said to him, I said, restless leg, you are under this bed. You're under my feet. You do not have power and authority over me. You know, I fixed it. I got up out of bed and went and laid on the couch. That's something I never do. But I told you, I said this, I believe that Jesus was going to do something about it. But Satan will do things to us to kind of distract us and tr try to make us tired. You know, it's days like today that, you know, it's sun shining outside. And when you have a gloomy day like Saturday, you want a happy day like Sunday. And no, no better day than to come to church on the happy day than to be here in the Lord's house on the holy day and, um, and, and recognize uh, a Jesus. But so many of us, Sunday mornings, we wake up and we're like, I'm so tired. Well, why? Why are you tired? Isn't it amazing? Boy, it's interesting how you got up yesterday morning. We all had coffee together and donuts, and we had a great time. Oh, yeah, and the women met at 930 for mugs and muffins and had a great study, and everybody was bright-eyed and bushy-tail at 9 a.m. in the morning. Isn't that funny how that works? But if Satan can, he will do everything in his power to try to exercise his authority to not have you here because guess what? Guess who was in the room? Jesus. Guess who's in this room? Jesus. And that's why we come to church. That is the whole reason why we worship together is to come together to understand the fullness of Christ so that we can then learn how to become, uh, I want to say this, a better soldier in the army of the Lord. Now, it's much like this. You know, last week I heard a story and it came from Lynn that where Chase is at down in Texas, there's a young man who's going around to a lot of the, is that, am I correct in saying that? Or a group is going around to some of the homeschools and uh, was going to threaten them preschools threatening some of these preschools so they all had to be on high alert but what was funny is it wasn't just preschools it was christian preschools so you see here's the reality we can hear something and we don't have to do anything about it we just let the intruder come in right we just let him come in and we just let him wreak havoc on our lives. We let him wreak havoc in the, in the schools and, the, and we don't, we just say, oh, it's okay. They're little people. They'll be all right. That's just something somebody said. That's, you know, that's just the, the good old news that we have. No, it's not. It's the reality. And for the same reason, if you heard that all of a sudden there were soldiers that were embarking upon this property, would we all just sit here and praise the Lord or would we prepare for the battle that's ahead of us? We would prepare for the battle that's ahead of us. I've heard people say this you know I, I forget what movie it was but um where he actually blindfolded himself because he was you know in the secret service and so on and so forth and fbi or whatever it was but he could blindfold himself and he was able to go through the house even if he couldn't see so that he could have control and authority over his home still being blinded interesting isn't it to know where a gun was at to know where this was at to protect himself and to protect his family I say that to say this. Why is it that the churches of today are not equipping the soldiers in the army of the Lord to prepare for the battle that is among them right now? We've, let, we've laid down as casualties of war just letting Satan have his way in our life. We really have. And, and yet we have the tools to be able to combat the enemy to, to pull down those strongholds, to bind him, and to prepare and to know how to overcome Satan's attacks in our life. So, you've come to church. Some of you might yawn through my messages, and I understand maybe you were out late, maybe you worked, maybe you were up early and you worked this morning. And for some, you know, maybe this just doesn't connect with you, and I understand that, but I want you to know what I'm trying to do. Is I'm trying to give you probably... I will say this, I've never preached this series of messages ever in 18 years, but I'm trying to equip you with the right type of ammunition so when the enemy shows up in your house unexpected, you know how to take authority over him and to get him out. And that's what it's about. 
So here we are. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 says this. When he wrought in Christ, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. The door to exercising authority pivots upon two phrases Paul prayed for in Ephesians. And the second one was in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What I want you to do this morning is I want you to meditate on these two prayers. Learn to pray them for yourself. Feed on their truths until they become a part of your inner consciousness. Then they will dominate your life. But don't try to accept them mentally. You've got to get to the revelation of them in your spirit and take authority over it. I knew what was going on with me in the middle of the night. Are you kidding me? That doesn't happen to me. I love my sleep. I sleep wonderful. When I go to bed, I'm going to sleep. But it's interesting how on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, he will come in. But if I know consciously, like kind of like an oven, when the oven goes down and he wants to get you discouraged and distracted, right, Jeff? Hallelujah. Praise him. Praise him. And that's what the songs were about this morning, right? Praise him in the storm. He was trying to get things ready for today and their oven went down, right? So now he's outside in his shorts in the freezing cold 20 degrees, 20 degrees in Ohio trying to make this, but still praising him all the while. But what you have to do is consciously know how to pray through that. So even though I was in and out of consciousness because I was what? I was sleeping. I was binding Satan. I was using that. And I said, listen, you can't come in here. You can't take authority over me. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm a victor, not a victim. I'm a winner, not a whiner. I'm a champion in the army of the Lord. And I will tell you right now, Satan, you have no authority in this house. And I'm exercising it right now because you're under my feet. You're not over my head. You have no control over me. Hey, listen, listen. I prayed it, and I prayed it, and I prayed it, and I prayed it, and I prayed it some more, right? Because it became who I am. So we've got to meditate and practice this. Notice that not only is Christ seated at the right hand of the Father above all the powers in Satan's realm, but we are there too. And you heard me say it in the scripture because God, it says in Ephesians 1.21, says what? He put us far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He hath raised us together. He's put us up together. In the mind of God, we were raised when Christ was raised. When Christ sat down, we sat down too. That's where we are now. Now watch. Positionally speaking, we're seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ. The act of Christ being seated implies that for the time being, at least certain aspects of his work are suspended. Hold up. I'm, I'm moving forward. So listen, church, I want you to see this. That all the authority that was given to Christ belongs to us through him and we may exercise it we help him by carrying out his work upon the earth and one aspect of his work that the word of god tells us to do is to conquer the enemy the devil to conquer the enemy the devil interesting isn't it Some may argue in this room, and some will argue, well, he can get along without me, but I really need him. No, he can, possibly. He can't get along without you any more than you can get along without him. You see, the truth that Paul is bringing out here in Ephesians is that Christ is the head and we are the body. Right? Christ is the head, we are the body. We can't do anything without him. Is the heat on in this sanctuary? No. Because I feel like it's 190 degrees in here. Satan, you're under my feet, not above my head. I'm just, I just thought I'd put that out there. I'm getting a little warm. 
So the truth that Paul is actually bringing out here is this. In Ephesians, is that Christ is the head and we are the body. You saw me read it in the latter part, thank you, of Ephesians. And uh, so let me ask you this. What if, what if your body said, I can get along without the head. I don't need my head. How far would that go for you? It kind of reminds me of the headless horseman, right? No, your, your body can't get along without your head. And what if your head said, well, I can get along without my body. I don't need it. I can get along without hands and feet. No, you can't. You can't get along without any of it. Because, likewise, Christ can't get along without us. Because the work of Christ and God is carried out through the body of Christ. His work never will be done apart from us. And we never can get along without him. It's interesting to think, but in its literacy, that's exactly what it means. So here we are in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, and it says this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So if you take this verse out of its setting and go on talking about this awful fight we're in against the devil and describing how powerful the devil is, you've missed the whole point that I'm trying to make here. Because that's not what he's saying in Ephesians. Remember that when Paul wrote his letter to the church at Ephesus, he didn't divide it into chapters and verses. Scholars did that at a much later date to help us in making references. And you can do great harm sometimes by picking one verse out of a chapter. Taking it out of its setting. And make it say something it doesn't say. You see, the Holy Spirit through Paul already has said in the second chapter that we are seated above these powers. That we have to deal with, not only is Christ seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all of these powers. But we are there too because God has made us sit together with Christ. So amazing. You know, in, in, in this study, it's been really bizarre to me because I, you know, I love Ephesians. Can you tell? And just going through understanding authority and the power that Jesus has, has given to us, has granted to us. And now we get to practice that not just within the church, but within our family, within the setting of, uh, of the workplace and within our culture. Because he sees the importance of it. So therefore you see that in our battle against the enemy and his forces, we need to keep in mind that we are above them. And we have authority over them. The word tells us that Jesus has conquered them. Our job is to enforce, enforce his victory. His victory belongs to us and we, we, we as a church, as a body are to do what? Carry it out. Interesting. I can't do it alone. So point number one, the believer dealing with the enemy, the adversary, the devil. Father, bless your word. Father, bless uh, your people. Thank you for those that are here today. Father, thank you so much for, for the next few minutes, the points that, that we can have to better equip us against the sly devil. The lion that creeps and roars to come after us to seek, kill, and destroy. But Father, we thank you that all power and authority has been granted to us to overcome that. And we have nothing to fear. For you are God and God alone. Father, hide me behind the cross. Speak through me today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes, I, I, I want you all to understand too. It just thought came to my mind. I always say, speak through me. That's, that's quite a thought, isn't it? I mean, when, when you really think about it, I want Jesus to speak through me. I want his Holy Spirit to manifest itself and speak through me so that we can understand his word and all of its power and all of its authority. But I'm transferring maybe what I have planned, what the Lord has placed upon my heart to be able to speak 
life into each and every one of us. It's so important. So here we are, the believer, dealing with the enemy, the adversary, the devil. Not one single time in the New Testament is the church ever told to pray that God the Father or that Jesus would do anything against the devil. In fact, to do so is to waste your time. The believer is told to do something about the devil. The reason is because you have the authority to do it. The church is not to pray to God, the Father, above the devil. The church is to exercise the authority that belongs to it. That was a lot of theology right there. The New Testament tells believers themselves to do something about the enemy, about the adversary, and about the devil. And the least member of the body of Christ has just as much power over the devil as anyone else. And unless believers do something about the devil, nothing will be done in a lot of your areas in your life. Because we believe that certain people have the power. No, that's, that's incorrect. Because Jesus said the least member of the body of Christ has just as much power over the devil as anyone else. Pastor, would you prove that to me? Sure, I would love to. Look right up here in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Here's what it reads. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. I've been quoting that now for the last two months when I was laying in bed this morning. I said, do you understand that I have authority over scorpions? And snakes and serpents and everything else. And I have authority over you. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in this world. And when we start believing that, that's when we're going to get the job done. That's when we're going to get it completed. Jesus continued and he said in Revelation chapter 1 verses 1 through 3, And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. I'm going to give you four references this morning that prove that. First of all, he said in Matthew 28:18, And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power, all authority, all power. Take the word power, make it authority. So all authority that he has is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The word power in the Greek means authority. But I immediately delegated my authority on earth to the church, and I can work only through the church, for I am the head of the church. That's Jesus speaking. That's paraphrasing that. That's breaking it down. Your head cannot exercise any authority anywhere except through your body. The second reference, reference Jesus gave me was in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. It says this, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and do what? And do what? And do what? Preach the gospel to every creature, and he that believed and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Watch this. Are you ready, church? Say this. I'm ready. Okay. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He said the very first sign mentioned as following any believer, not any pastor or any evangelist, is that they shall cast out devils. That means that in my name, they shall exercise authority over the devil because I have delegated my authority over the devil to who? To the church. That's, that's powerful. That is very, very powerful. Remember in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, he says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. One translation says this, 
The Father hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Again, that's the Greek word power here for authority. I think the verse should read, The Father has delivered us from the authority of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. God already has delivered us from the authority of darkness. Therefore, we've got to speak to darkness, that is, Satan and his kingdom, and tell them what to do. But how do we do that, Pastor? You're like, wow, this is... This is great. You know what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to equip our church to be able to go into spiritual warfare and to say, I'm going to rely on this person or that person, this deacon, that deacon, this trustee, this Sunday school, you know, discipleship leader or that woman. Or No, you have the keys and you have the weapons of your warfare. We all we all I, I love when people preach Ephesians chapter six because they act like it's some fictional character put on the whole armor of God. That. You may stand. Isn't that precious? I love Ephesians 6. Where is the authority behind it? Where's the power behind it? Why is it that we're not able to overcome, you know, a lot of the things in our life because he's coming at us. If we're going to walk in holiness, he doesn't like holy. It's not a surprise, but I'm just telling you, he wants us to exercise authority over others. Now watch this, and and I'm, I'm moving forward here quickly. Believers have authority over the devil. They can break the power of the devil if he raises his head anywhere in their own life or the lives of their immediate family or loved ones. They have authority there. They'll be free. You will be free from the enemy. Because they've got the right to exercise that authority over him. And you see, that doesn't mean, however, that they'll go down the street casting the devil out of everyone they meet. It primarily means they will exercise authority over the devil in their own lives. You got the devil in you, you're out, you're out, you're out. I mean, come on. That's not what he's talking about here. You've got to realize that you've got authority over your own household. Now listen to me closely, because now I'm going to make it a little bit more intimate and closer to home. See, you must realize that you've got authority over your own household that you don't have in my household. Spiritual authority is much like natural authority. For example, you don't have authority over my money, right? You can't tell me what to do with my money. Unless I give you permission to use my money. You don't have authority over my daughters, my son-in-laws, or my granddaughters, unless I give you permission to have authority over them. Do you see where I'm going with this? Because here's what James chapter 4 verse 7 says. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit. What's Submit. Turning it over, letting go of it, submitting yourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, here's the understood subject of this sentence. Keep it up there. And he will do what from who? He will flee from. He will flee from. The believer has to have authority over the devil. Or the Bible wouldn't tell him to do something about the devil. The scripture doesn't say that the devil will flee from Jesus. It says he will flee from you. Isn't that interesting? He will flee from you. You don't pray that Jesus will lay hands on the sick. You do it. We don't believe in miracles any longer because people just aren't practicing laying hands on people. They're not even practicing anointing people with oil. Why? We can, go to a, we can go to a store, and I once heard an illustration. We can go to a store, and we can believe whatever's in that little can that's on the shelf, that it's going to be green beans. If it says it's green beans, it's going to be corn if it's going to be corn, because that little can is like miracles. We go, we get it, we make the meal, and when you open it up, you don't open it up, and if it says green beans, have you ever opened it up and it was carrots? 
It's never happened to me. If it's happened to you, that's wonderful. Let's talk about it. But when I open up a can, it's exactly what's in that can. Because you know what? You're a can. And you could do all things through Christ that gives you the strength. Because I can. We don't believe in miracles because we're not stepping out laying hands on people. See, the altar call isn't just to walk up here just because we want to collapse down here. And No, we're bringing our needs, our wants, our sacrifice to him at the altar of sacrifice. And we're saying, here I am, Lord, because you know what? I know and I believe. And then people will walk up here and will lay hands on you and we'll pray over you and we'll see God work. You know, Friday night, uh, Tom was sharing this just in class that we prayed over him with his asthma. We prayed over his buddy with uh, congestive heart failure. He said, I can't believe that I'm breathing better. I don't even ha- I wasn't even struggling at all after that. And he said, and second of all, my buddy came home and he told me, guess what? They just discharged me from the hospital and they said I don't have congestive heart failure. Well, is that a miracle? Yes, that's a miracle. Praise the living God. Hallelujah. You know what we did? We took authority over this sickness. And instead of you thinking to yourself, I've got to go through this by myself because I'm ashamed of what I'm going through. He's actually encouraging us to go through it together. He wants us to go through this together. Many times we don't. We have to exercise that authority over the enemy. That authority is yours. Rather, you feel like you've got it or not. See, authority has nothing to do with feelings. Do you hear what I'm saying? Authority has nothing to do with feelings. You must exercise it. So in that verse from James, the Spirit revealed that the word in there says flee. Because that word is very, very significant. And in the dictionary, one of the shades of meaning was to run from as if in terror. The devil will run from you as if in terror. You will see demons quake and quiver and fear as you exercise your God-given authority over them. They aren't afraid of you. They're afraid of Jesus, whom you and I represent as the body. Are you with me? Because another scripture that tells us to do something about the enemy, the adversary, the devil, was this third reference from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that says this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may devour. Your adversary means your opponent. This is as far as a lot of people read. They'll say things like, you're not going to believe it. I'm like, what? The devil's after me. They ask for prayers so that the devil won't get them. But did you miss something? The devil already got you. If you talk that way, it's too late to pray then. What are we going to do about him? Roll over and play dead like a dog or a possum? No. Hot our head in the sand and hope he'll disappear? No. Thank God. Notice what it says as we go on reading. Because the next verse says, Whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions, the tests, and trials are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. The New American Standard actually says this. It says your faith instead of the faith. I think I like that better. It's our faith that we can take this on. It's our faith that we can stand strong and in the power of his might. You see, Peter didn't write this letter to tell the Christians. Now, word has come to me that God's using our beloved brother Paul in casting out devils. And he's sending handkerchiefs or cloths. And the diseases are departing from all these beloved people. And evil spirits are going out of them. Mm. So I would suggest that you write to Paul and get a handkerchief. Isn't that what he's saying here? No. 
Instead of that, he told them to do something about the devil. Why? Because they've got authority over him. The Spirit of God through the Apostle Peter wouldn't tell you to do something you couldn't do. The reason you can do it is because every believer has the same authority Paul had in Jesus Christ. Peter didn't tell us that only Paul could cast out devils or that Paul would resist the devil for us. Why get Paul to do it when you can do it yourself? Let me continue. Taking a stand for baby Christians. Taking a stand for baby Christians. If Kaylin can bring Olivia in here, I think she's waiting. I'm going to give you a little illustration. People have asked me, why don't they get healed? Some think there is something wrong with a preacher who prayed for them. What was his faith not strong enough? Was their faith not strong enough? I explained that when they first were saved, they were baby Christians, and God permitted others to pray for them and carry them on their faith. But you see, after a while, God expects that baby to grow, walk, and start doing things for himself. God puts the baby down and tells him to walk, but many won't. Too many people still want to be babies and have someone else pray for them all the time. They want me to do the work that you have the power and authority to do. Hi, I'm a Christian. You are? Prove it. If you're a Christian, prove it. You know, with my granddaughters, and uh, I think she's coming. Maybe she's not coming. I'm thinking that she's coming, but she's not. Is Caitlin coming? Maybe she's not. Maybe she is. I wanted to give you a visual of something that I think is really, really valuable in understanding what Christ wants us to do. You see, I think that we want to help those who can't help themselves. But we need to teach people so that they can grow and use their own authority because the time will come when they will have to use the authority that Jesus granted them if they want their prayers answered. As she's coming in here. She loves her. Here she comes. She loves her papa. Give everybody a wave. Look at her. She's happy and she's waving. See? She does everything on cue because we tell her what to do. But I wanted to kind of show you. Hi, pumpkin. Can you show everybody how you say, Papa? Papa? Come on. Tell her. Say, Papa? We're, 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 we're working on this now. Like everybody's waving at her. Hi. So. Can you say, hey, Hogan? Can you say Papa? <laughs> By the way, she does say it. It's one of the. So watch this. Come here. Come here to Papa real quick. I know. Yes. You gonna say Papa? Hi. Who's out there? So you know, I always think it's really cool. So when you watch an infant or you watch a baby, they kind of do everything we tell them to do, right? Because God has entrusted us to be able to teach the children what to do so we teach them to say things like papa can you say papa i know all these people out here all 1500 of them is is right so watch this so one of the things that you do with children like when they start to crawl we help them along like okay get in this position and so we'll put them down and then we watch them crawl right so we put them in a position are you going to go get mommy Look, we tell her to go, and she goes. You say, come here, and she says, come here, right? I mean, here she goes. She's crawling across the room, right? But then after they start crawling, she's going to Uncle Jake and Aunt Victoria, right? Hi. So then it was really cool because this morning, Caitlin calls, and she's like, oh, no, this was last night. Are you going to walk over here to Papa? Come here. Watch how fast she can walk. Like she's, okay, that's it. I'm done crawling. I'd like to show everybody that I know how to walk. And uh, we, don't, we, don't, we don't just walk. We run. And then we get to the other side. Yay! <laughs> Yay! So, you know, I, I think here you can take her. Here's my illustration. We saw the same thing with a uh, round of applause for Olivia. Yay! <laughs> 
that's just a visual of what I'm trying to show the church. Here's what's going on. I can exercise my authority as her grandfather to continue to teach her. When Libby was little, I would say things like, where's Jesus in your heart? Is Jesus in your heart? And so even with the girls, I would say the same thing when they were little. So they, I would say, where's Jesus in my heart? We're, we're teaching and we're training them. But if I ask Victoria to come up here, my adult daughter, and ask her, honey, how about if you just crawl right over here to daddy? And, uh, get back over there. <laughs> Actually, she would say, he's a weirdo. What has happened to dad? No, I don't expect her to crawl. I don't expect her to act like a baby. I expect her to graduate throughout her lifetime to be able to run. I don't expect the same things from Victoria, Caitlin, uh, Megan or Lindsay, even with my son-in-laws, if you have already graduated from a place where you're learning and now you're going into another place of no longer acting like a child. That's the same thing in our growth in Christ. Why do we have discipleship class at 9.30 on Sunday mornings? It's because we want people to grow in Christ. Unfortunately, we don't do that. Becky was... Uh, she was, this was last year, and she was up in the bedroom, and she said, hey, Todd, could you come here? And I said, well, well certainly. And uh, when I got upstairs, she said, hey, could you do me a favor? Could you, um, I, I want to pray, but I want you to pray over me as well. Now, understanding the authority that I have over my house and, and the covering that I have as her husband, I laid hands over her, and I prayed for her. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you will take this pain away in her stomach, in her abdomen area. She was in a lot of pain. Bam, it went away. You see, because when you start to exercise the authority and you believe what God will do, he will heal you. I've had others ask me to pray over them in times past and God has moved and healed. I've also had people say to me, I don't mean to be critical, but you have to understand, Pastor, you prayed over us and we saw some great miracles. But in our church, it seems that the younger people are the only ones who have any faith for healing. I didn't know who to ask for prayer because no one ever gets healed here any longer. We never see the grace of God. We had to grow st stronger in faith the older we get. We should be changing the older we get. But too often we don't. In church, as in so many, most of the people were saved when they were younger. And God permitted at that time to pray over them, to guide them, to direct them. But because of a lack of right teaching, they remained in that babyhood stage of Christian development. They said we used to see people healed when we were first Christians, but now we don't. And it would make just as much sense for you never to have any clothes of your own. Always depending on wearing somebody else's clothes as if it would for you never to exercise your own faith or do your own praying. Always depending on somebody else's prayers. Always putting on something else of someone else. So what happens to people who never attempt to exercise any faith of their own but always rely on other people's faith? Well, we just read it. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. But I want you to know, church, you as a Christian and a believer can do something about him. So let me show you this. Jesus, James, and Peter tells us to do something about the devil. Paul says in Ephesians 4.27, he says, neither give place to the devil, period. Don't give place to him. This was the fourth scripture. This means you were not to give the devil any place in you. He can't take any place unless you give him permission. He can't take any place in your life unless you give him permission to do so. And you would have to have authority over him or this wouldn't be true. So now we move into the next point. Authority on earth. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on, as it is in, Jesus added, here are your four witnesses. I'm the first, James is the second, Peter is the third, and Paul is the fourth. 
This establishes the fact that the believer has authority on earth, for I have delegated my authority over the devil to you on earth, and if you don't do anything about it, nothing will ever be done. And that is why many times nothing is done. Now you understand why things have happened the way they have. We've permitted them to happen. Not knowing our authority, not knowing what we could do. We have done nothing and we actually have permitted the devil to keep on doing whatever he wanted to do. We need to realize, let's wake up. So look to the people around you and say, hey, it's time to wake up. Hey, it's time to wake up. We may have to change our way of praying. Do you hear me? We may have to change our way of praying. I did. It won't hurt you to change. It's good for you. We have authority to do this. We're sitting at the right hand of the Father, far above principalities and powers. And if we're far above them, then we have authority over them. Ephesians 1.22 goes on to say, And he has put all things under his feet. And he gave him to be head over all things the church. The feet are members of the body. Feet aren't members of the head. Now I'm winding things up here. Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. As the businessman, John A. McMillian, pointed out, how wonderful to know that the least members of the body of Christ, those who are the very soles of the feet, the little toenail, or the little toe, are far above the mighty forces that we have been considering. So remember, Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. And no, I'm not bringing serpents and scorpions in here. Next week, that'll be our test. No, that's not what I'm trying to do here. And over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall be by any means. Listen, this says we have authority. How much authority over the devil does the church have? Any less than this? None. No. Thank God. Yet if you listen to the average Christian talk or hear some preachers preach, you'd get the impression that the devil is bigger than everybody and that he's actually running everything. Yes, he is the God of this world. So he's running the world system. But hallelujah, hallelujah, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. The Bible says, so he's not running us. The devil has been walking on us for way too long. And the reason why I want to preach this is because I really believe this. That this is not a joking matter. We're foolish to make light jokes about all of this stuff. A preacher once said to me at a convention, well, brother, I've got the devil on the run. The trouble is I'm running and he's after me. Making a statement like that just shows his ignorance. In the first place, you haven't any business running from the devil. The Bible says he'll run from you. Isn't that a great thought? I mean, think about that. You need to put him under the run. You need to put him on the run, not under the run. I got ready to stand under his feet and on the run. You need to put him on the run. Unfortunately, I think that is the picture of preachers and churches too much of the time. In fact, most of the time. And we see it everywhere. So we say this, we need to reign as kings. Romans 5, 17, it says, For by one man's offense death reign by one man. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by the one, Jesus Christ. And here's what the Amplified Bible actually says. We shall reign as kings in life through one, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. That sums it up, doesn't it? God's plan for us is that we rule and reign in life as kings. To rule and reign over circumstances, poverty, disease, and everything else that would hinder us. We reign because we have authority. We reign by Jesus Christ. Are you saying in the next life? No. In this life. And if we're going to sing something or say something, let's be sure it is in line with the word of God. 
Some people sing, Here I wander like a beggar through the heat and the cold. Or precious Jesus, don't forget me. All kinds of unbelief that people have actually put into words and into songs. We're not wandering like beggars because we're not beggars. Bible said in Romans eight seventeen that what? He said, here, we're children of God, and if heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. We're the body of Christ. We're seated with Christ at the right hand in the majesty of majesty on high. Far above all principalities, far above all power, might, dominion. Hallelujah and glory to God. So much to be said. Humility versus poverty. Many people will equate humility with poverty. One preacher once said how humble another was because he drove a very old car. The other preacher said, that's not being humble. That's being ignorant. Driving an old car was that preacher's idea of humility, and that's what he thought. This is a true story. From your pastor. Another fellow remarked in his church, and he's not here right now. You know, he said, I have a problem with something. You know, Jesus and the disciples never drove a Cadillac. And I looked at him, I said, and he said, and you will never have a Cadillac. So my comment to him was, well, there weren't any Cadillacs then, but Jesus did ride a donkey. It was the Cadillac of that day, the best means of transportation they had. Just saying. Believers have allowed the devil to cheat them out of every blessing they could enjoy. God didn't intend us to poverty-stricken life. He said we are to reign in life as kings. Who would ever imagine a king being poverty-stricken? The idea of poverty just doesn't go along with reigning as kings. Everybody's always, you can't have that, and you, you're a pastor. Oh, but you could to drive a Mercedes? That's humility and that's poverty? No. Humility is different. And it comes from just understanding God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. It's how you brag about things and do things that God will resist you. So I'll say this as I close. I want you to exercise authority in your family. We're going to wrap up this message But I want you to exercise authority in your family. God didn't intend for you to dominate our families. You see, I'm sorry. God didn't intend for the devil to dominate our families. When our children were small and the devil would try to put fear and uncertainty on them. I would get mad at the devil and tell him to take his hands off my children. I would tell him, I'm ruling over my domain. This is my household. You're not ruling in this household. You know why? Because I'm through Jesus Christ. You have to leave. This is my house. So I put him on the run. And he ran. And church, you can do the same thing. When I leap out of bed in the middle of the night when my daughters were afraid and I prayed the power of Jesus over them, I knew right then that I needed to exercise the authority of Christ over them and protect them. They didn't come just running in the room because... It was just by coincidence that they were screaming and said they saw a monster. I don't believe that because I believe that we put on the whole arm of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians chapter 6. But we must exercise and you must exercise your authority in and over your family. And you will see Jesus of Nazareth take authority over every situation of your life. So I'll say this. I think... We need to learn to be exalted. We Christians must learn that we are seated with Christ. We must learn to be exalted to the place where God wants us. The church fails too often in the ministry of authority. Instead, she's bowed down and defeated and is overcome with fear. I'm telling you, church, I could go on for probably another 30 minutes. Some of my pastor friends that I could, all right, some of my pastor friends that have said, you know what, we're not going to do this any longer because the world's after us, and we're going to make this change and that change with marriage and everything else, and they've just bowed the knee to the devil, and they don't take a stand because they're afraid of what the enemy's going to do to them. Well, I'm telling you this, I know who I'm 
under. I know where I'm seated, and I know where that authority comes from, and it comes from Jesus. Listen, my accountability is to him and not to this world. And we need to claim that. Ephesians 1.22 says this. And he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Jesus is head over every sickness, over every disease. And anything else that's evil. And he's proved, Jesus proved all of this when he was here on earth. I think by reversing the words will bring up the deepest meaning more clearly. He says, he's head to the church over all things. Jesus is head over all things for the church's sake. We have to understand his authority. and We need to meditate upon these divine truths so that our spirits may fully understand them. And I really do believe that once we do, we will reap rich rewards. When we have this reverent attitude, this spirit of truth, follow with me, the Holy Spirit can lift us into a place where we can see the true meaning of God's revelation. And in Ephesians, Paul prayed that the church at Ephesus also might have this spirit of wisdom and revelation. You see, God the Father, Jehovah God, God made Christ to be the head over all things to the church. And it is for our sake that he's the head, so that we through him might exercise that authority over all things as his body. When we understand what belongs to us, we will enjoy the victory Christ has for us. We will enjoy the victory that Christ has for us. You see... The devil will fight to keep us from getting there. But through stubborn faith in Christ, the victory can be ours. Say this with me. The victory is ours. Church, I want us all just to, to really be able to know how to pray. And to understand the authority that God has granted us. I'm not preaching anything that hasn't been preached for 2,000 years. But I think we're, we're failing in embracing and exercising spiritual authority in our life because I think many of us do fear the outcome. But I think if we can move together as a body, my body isn't sitting out there in the middle of that of the church and my head's up here. It'd be kind of gruesome. My feet aren't over there. My arm's not over there. It's up here. And if we're going to do the work of God, we need to look that enemy straight in the eye and say we are the body and move forward as a body but I think this and I do believe this I think our homes are split I believe they're divided and I think it's difficult for people to move as one in the body of Christ as Paul was saying so it's because the home is so divided so I'm gonna, I want to challenge you this week to practice Oneness in your relationship. Practice oneness in your home so that you can combat the enemy with authority and power that Christ has granted you. I don't do it in myself. I didn't do it with my own will. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And so church, I want you to be equipped for the great battle that's among us. I want us to be soldiers for the kingdom. I want you to be soldiers for Christ. You're not out there just directing the traffic. We are in it to win it. We are in it to resist the devil. And it says he will flee from us. Put him on the run and you stop running. Do you receive that this morning? Let's rise to our feet. Father, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for your word. Father, help us to be able to put on the whole armor of God. Lord, I have... I believe two more weeks and I will be finished. But I want a church full of praying people. I know that's my desire and as 
I've read in the scripture that's your desire. So help all of us to embrace your healing power. To understand that miracles weren't just stories in the Bible. That Jesus, you performed them and people were delivered. People can walk and see so that your Father can be glorified. So Father, in everything we do, may, may what we do, may you be glorified in all of it. God, if there's somebody in here today that needs you as their Lord and Savior, maybe they have strayed away or fallen away, maybe their, their focus hasn't been where it should be, but Lord, we ask that you will prick their heart and help them to know that there is fullness walking with Jesus. Father, thank you for Ephesians. Thank you for Paul and his encouragement in the word. Father, help us to all walk in authority, in the authority that you've granted to us as a church. Through the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. Thank you for this great morning. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name I pray.